0: We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 19. So Philippians chapter 2, or you can check out the Bible app, the uh, sermon for the day should be in there, unless I mess something up like I did a couple of weeks ago. So uh, not that that happens often, just too often for what I would prefer. Uh, so Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking starting in verse 19, but I uh, always like to review Just to help you remember the concepts that have brought us to where we are The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi Uh, He is a prisoner in Rome He's under house arrest for his Christianity And Philippi is a, a, a Roman colony Full of Roman living kinds of people Easily influenced by the pagan culture That is around them And so you have this church That's just a few years old uh, That is seeking to follow after God And so Paul is telling them How to do that And encouraging them To have some right perspectives in life And right choices And it begins with this understanding That for the Christian to live is Christ And to die is gain And so our whole life should be focused on Jesus. And he encourages the Philippian church to do this, to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is an amazing challenge Because Paul is telling us that that as Christians, we should consider the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and live in light of that. If He was willing to give so much for us, what are we willing to sacrifice and give in order to live lives worthy of what He's done for us? And and this begins to be fleshed out at the beginning of chapter 2 and he says do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves everyone should look not to his own interests but rather to the interests of others and then he says gives an example he says adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who was god and gave up all the rights and privileges of heaven, setting those things aside in order to take on flesh, to walk a life as a human just like you and I, and then die as a servant on the cross for the sins of all of mankind, rising again on the third day and being declared amazing by the Father. And, and so he, he then continues to say, I want to encourage you to live this selfless life, but as you're doing that, I want you to work out yourself excuse me, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that we are saved by the work of God within us, but that salvation within us should result in an outwardly lived life of righteousness. And he begins to describe that. So we have these challenges to have a right perspective on our lives as Christians, to to have a, a, a focus on meeting the needs of others, and then to realize that true salvation is not just an inward personal thing, but it should begin to manifest itself outwardly as you serve and reach out into the lives of others. And Paul says that those who will begin to live this life Begin to work out their salvation, from the heart change that God has affected inside to a lifestyle change on the outside, that we will be declared like shining stars in a crooked and perverse generation. And so with all of these challenges, with all of these things before us, Paul is essentially saying that we are supposed to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Practicing humility and allowing your faith to manifest itself in holiness, righteous works, and unified service. So that brings us to the place here, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, where Paul gives to us two examples that are the shining stars that he says all of us can and should be as Christians. Remember just just a few verses before. He he says that you will be like shining stars amongst a crooked and perverse generation when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so he gives us two examples here in these, these two passages of two shining stars. It begins with Timothy, whom he calls a faithful son. And then the second shining star is Epaphroditus, excuse me epaphroditus who he calls a fellow soldier in the faith so if i were taking notes to turn in in the back so that i could get a prize later on i would write down right now the two shining stars that paul talks about in this passage are timothy and then the fun word epaphroditus um if if you are considering the name for your first child or your next child Think about this, Epaphroditus. I think it could go both ways. And so it could just be like an easy, you choose this name, Epaphroditus. What would you call it for short? Path? Um, No, that's just weird. Uh, Wrote it? Uh, but lots of lots of choices here. These two shining stars, though, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we're going to look at Timothy first, whom Paul calls a faithful son. So let's look in Scripture together and read verses 19 through 24. Whether you're in your app or you've got your physical Bible, I encourage you to just remember that all of our translations are... Translated from, they're brought from the original Greek, which very few of us read or understand, and brought into the English language so that we have access to Scripture in a language that we can understand. And so, nearly every translation you will pick up at a bookstore or from Amazon that are faithful, trusted translations are equal in standing. So you might like the KJV, you might like the NKJV, you might like the NASB, the ESV, the CSB, the HCSB, the NLT, or any of those translations, all of them, though they don't read exactly the same, are faithful translations from the Greek, and so we can trust them. So as I read from the Christian Standard Bible, if it doesn't sound just like the Bible that you prefer, it's okay Each of these translations is based on the same original Greek that we're trying to understand. So, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know His proven character, because He has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send Him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. So. We see in the short passage Paul talking about Timothy. Now, this isn't the first time that we see Timothy in the letter to the church in Philippi. In fact, if you were to flip back in your Bible or scroll back in your app, you would see that in chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Timothy is actually included in the the letter as being uh, one of the ones from whom this letter is from. And yet Paul is the one who does all of the writing. Timothy is simply among the company of Paul. And we see that Paul sees him as a faithful son in the faith. Now what's interesting about Paul and Timothy is... is, um, Paul had had met Timothy early on in his uh, missionary journeys and and Timothy had become circumcised in order to, to meet the needs of the missionary work and began to travel with Paul. And Timothy was actually part of Paul's entourage when Paul first went to Philippi and this church started. So the Philippian church know Timothy from the beginning of the letter, but they also know him from that first moment when they began to hear the gospel and be saved. They had met Timothy. He was part of Paul's group. Paul actually had to flee from Philippi, but Timothy had stayed behind in order to keep teaching the Christians there about the new doctrines that they were being introduced to. So this Timothy is a faithful son to Paul, a faithful spiritual son. Now, as we begin to read the passage, we we have some, some words that we should key into just for the sake of our own growth as Christians. Paul says this, he says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And that phrase, in the Lord Jesus, is one that many of us could probably do a better job, including in our everyday life. And what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times you and I will make plans, don't we? We, we will determine what we will do with our day, with our week, with our life. Uh, I won't ask how many of you have a five-year plan, because you five-year planners, you will raise your hands excitedly, and those of us who have never written a five-minute plan will be shamed. And so, uh, but, but you five-year planners, you know what it's like. Uh, you, you're the kind, you, you have everything in ink planned out for the next five years, and and. The problem is that oftentimes we will plan and we will not include submission to God in that plan. But we see here Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he makes plans to send Timothy to the church in Philippi, he includes this phrase, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus. It is in this moment we see that in the Apostle Paul's heart there is a desire to always walk in, in absolute submission to the will of God. I have a plan, and I'd like to see it happen, but even as I plan, I will submit my plan to the authority of Christ Jesus. Now, you might hear somebody say something like, well, I'll see you next week, and and they'll throw in at the end, Lord willing. And that can be just something they'll say out of flippancy, because they got used to saying it. But many of us say it because we really do sit back and think, that's not even a sure thing. It's on my calendar. I'm hoping to be there, but I understand that I could walk out, I could slip on the ice, I could conk my head, and I won't make the meeting next week. And it was the Lord's will for me to be diverted otherwise. And so it's important for us to develop a habit in our Christian walk of taking our plans and submitting them to the will of God on a regular basis and understanding that apart from His will, apart from His desires for us, we are simply planning things for no reason. But when we submit those things to him, we are walking in faithfulness. And so Paul says, church in Philippi, if the Lord has it, I want to send Timothy to you. And the reason he wanted to send Timothy is because he wanted to hear stories of the Philippian church when Timothy returned to him. And he wanted to hear the Philippian church's faithfulness. Uh, Cool thing about Timothy. I mentioned it, uh, I think, in the first sermon on Philippians. But Timotheos is his name in Greek. And it means one who honors God. What a cool name. What a, what a, what a great name! Uh, 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 Proverbs. I remember when I was a little kid. You know, a great name is to be uh, desired over over riches, and it really means about character and what people think of you. But a great name's a good thing. Uh, my name, Michael. It means who is like God, and it's actually a question. Uh, you know, do you, do you know what your name means? But Michael, it means, who is like God? It's a question reminding us, there is no one like God. So when you hear the name Michael, which you do, every kid who is misbehaving in the grocery store is named Michael. I'm, I mean, I'm just dead serious. You go to the grocery store, Michael, Michael, get back here, Michael. Everywhere I go. Every time you hear it, remember, it is a question, who is like God? Not that kid. Um, not me, not you, but who is like God? No one. Only God is God. So here is what's special about Timothy. Here's what we get to see about Timothy. Timothy is a man who has walked with Paul and walked with God for quite a number of years now. And we see that Timothy has begun to work out his salvation. So here's how Paul describes him. He says, "'I have no one else like-minded.'" who will genuinely care about your interests. He he claims that everybody else seeks their own interests and does not seek the interests of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Now, Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but he was his spiritual son. He was like a son to Paul, and he was faithful in all that he did. And so we see these words, these, these ones that we've highlighted. Timothy was like-minded to Paul. The, the words here in the Greek literally mean same-souled. Paul and Timothy were like soulmates. I, I don't want you to take that into the, the modern expression of, you know, love and, and uh, romance. Instead, it is two people who are so alike in their desires, in their longing to see God's plans come to pass in the lives of others, that they are same-souled, they're intimately linked, they're same in their very being and their concern. And and if you've ever had a friend, a connection, a, a ministry partner like this, not talking about a romance, but we're talking about somebody you walk in the room and you just know that your goals are the same. And Paul and Timothy were like that. And, and Timothy's salvation was being worked out in such a way that his, he was like-minded with one of the greatest missionaries and, and authors that we have in how, throughout Christian history. And not only did he think the same way as Paul, were they connected to one another like soulmates, Paul says he also genuinely cared for the needs of those around him. Genuinely cared for the needs of the Philippian church. Working out your salvation should mean you are the kind of person when you encounter someone else and, and, and want to see them grow in Christ's likeness that you are willing to give selflessly, to abandon your own desires in order to see them raised up into walking in closer unity with Christ. As When Paul says that Timothy is genuinely caring for the Philippian church and all that he's ministering to, that he is selflessly wanting to see the best according to Christ's plan to everybody that he ministers to. Everybody that he comes in contact, he wants to see God's best come to pass in their lives, and he's willing to give up his own desires and his own plans in order to see that happen. This is what it looks like as your salvation works out. This is what it looks like as we're maturing We should be willing to give of ourselves to see salvation come into the lives of others. To see spiritual maturity develop in the lives of others. Paul says that Timothy has proven character. Proven character. It means he has been tested and confirmed. He is consistent in how he lives. When we're talking about proven character, it is someone that when you see them today, you know that if you see them again in the week, they will be the same kind of person. They will not have compromised their morals or their standards. They will not have gone back on their convictions and decided, well, I'm just going to be somebody different today. I feel different. And uh, so this proven character is really what, what it means to work out your salvation. Character that's tested and stands from day to day and week to week that you are consistently following after Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, whenever you come to a Bible study, but all the time, every moment, every time you're encountered, you are proven to be the kind of person that you should be as you walk in Christ. And then it says that Timothy served. Timothy served alongside Paul in gospel ministry. And this word served is so rich, it's so beautiful. It says that Jesus came after having given up the rights and privileges of heaven in order to serve you and I, to serve all of mankind. And he put on flesh and he died on the cross to serve. And Paul says Timothy is serving In ministry with me. Timothy, this first shining star, this first example of what it looks like when our salvation is worked out with fear and trembling. When we honestly and humbly and graciously and lovingly submit to the work of God within us and allow it to change not just our hearts so that we get to go to heaven, but also our whole lifestyle so that we begin to impact the world around us. Understand, this is what we're supposed to be. Paul isn't holding up Timothy and saying, Timothy's an example of something you can never achieve. Instead, Paul is holding Timothy up as the first example of what you as a believer can look like, how you can behave, what people can expect from you, what God can, anticip- what God can, am- God can anticipate will flow from your life. As you work out your salvation, that you will be a person who is like-minded with Christ, that you will genuinely care for the spiritual needs of others, that your character will be consistent on a daily basis, not just every once in a while, and that you will serve in the same way that Christ did. The word there is doulos. And the word doulos, is served is actually kind of like doulos light. It literally means, when we look at it in context, slave. That Jesus put himself in the position of a slave in order to, to, to pay for our salvation. That you and I should be slaves to God. We should be slaves and servants to the needs of one another. To the glory of God. So here's Timothy, and, and, and Paul says this, as, after having described this first shining light, he says, Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Now Paul, once again, he's in prison in Rome. Timothy is there with him. Paul is under house arrest, awaiting his trial before Caesar. And Timothy is probably helping to, to take care of Paul. Uh, what happens is, if you were under house arrest in Rome, you had to provide for yourself everything that you needed. You had to pay for your own food and lodging, and, but but you, you were unable to go anywhere on your own. And so Paul is completely dependent upon Timothy and others like him and gifts from the churches to help support him while he is in prison or, or in uh, house arrest. And so Paul's waiting to see how this is going to work out. He's very optimistic. And actually we find out in the book of Acts that Paul is released from this first imprisonment and continues to serve the Lord. He's taken captive again and eventually beheaded in about AD 68 after having lived in the dungeons in Rome for a time. So Paul hopes to send Timothy as soon as he sees how things go with me. He says, "...I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon." It's again, this this phrase, in the Lord, this picture of Paul walking in submission to God, not telling the Philippian church, hey, it's going to be all right, I'll see you in three weeks, no worries, I know God will work this out. In fact, Paul is hopeful and confident, but not certain. He's at a point here where his life could still be taken because of his faith, or he could be released and able to come on more missionary journeys. And thankfully, he got a few more years. Uh, he was released from this imprisonment. So that is Timothy. That is Paul talking about his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And then he gets to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is the second example of what it looks like. Somebody working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Somebody whose inside heart change has become an outward truth. And so, Epaphroditus, Paul calls him a fellow soldier. But if we look in verses 25 through 30, we'll see the the entirety of how Epaphroditus is described. So, verse 25, "...but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need." Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. therefore, welcome him and the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So, Epaphroditus, some of the things that, that, that Paul says are true of him as he has worked out his faith. Paul describes Epaphroditus as a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister to Paul's needs as he is imprisoned there in Rome. So, as we look at these words, brother, we, we see that Paul recognizes Epaphroditus as a fellow believer and they're close in their relationship. So it's this clear understanding that, that not only does Paul know that Epaphroditus believes rightly, but we see Epaphroditus living rightly. And Paul recognizes that. He says he's a co-worker. Understand that here we have, once again, Paul, the, one of the greatest missionaries uh, and, and outreach coordinators and, and authors in the New Testament. And, and he sees Epaphroditus as an equal in the gospel mission. There is no rank when it comes to serving God. I think it's so important for us to understand that. I mean, we see it here. Paul calls uh, Epaphroditus a fellow soldier, a a, a fellow fighter for the cause of Christ. Too often in the Christian life, you and I might get this concept that there there are the really good Christians and then there's just us. That, that there's this division between the people who really know how to serve God and those of us who are just kind of so-so at it. Who who, you know, I mean, I bet that preacher doesn't struggle, I bet that leader doesn't have issues, and there's no way I could ever be like them. But you need to understand something: that in Christ we are equal in status. In Christ, we are equal in standing. And in Christ, we are equal in potential in the sense that the same God who lives within the high-ranking, how could we ever be like that Christian, lives within us. And we, by submitting to the power of the Spirit within us and working at our salvation with fear and trembling, can be the kind of Christian that we should be, and the kind of Christian that 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 even an elitist would look at us and go, "This is a, you are a co-worker, you are a fellow soldier." Now, our influence will not necessarily be the same. We won't necessarily get to have a TV show. I'm still working on mine, but I've never even been able to figure out how to do a podcast regularly, let alone a regular TV show. I got nothing. Um, but, but, but the thing is, we, we might not get the same kind of prominence. We might not get the same kind of recognition. But you are just as important in this gospel work as any other believer in the world. Your faithfulness is just as critical to seeing people saved as the faithfulness of whatever highfalutin, big-name preacher you can think of. The difference between you and I spiritually is that I stand up here so everybody can see me. But when we talk about status, when we talk about potential in service, when we talk about the ability to be faithful to God, we're on the same level. We are are all brothers and sisters. We are co-workers. We are fellow soldiers in this work. And if you sit in a chair and think, well, I never could, you're wrong. You're limiting the power of God within you. Now, we all have different personalities, right? We've got different strengths and weaknesses. And God will use us uniquely according to our shape. But we have the same potential to influence the kingdom of God as everyone else who believes in Jesus Christ. We're co-workers. We're fellow soldiers. We're brothers and sisters. Epaphroditus was a nobody that was sent from the Philippian church to carry a gift to Paul as he's in Rome. And this nobody, the Apostle Paul, looks at him and says, brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, because he saw in Epaphroditus someone who was working out his salvation with fear and trembling. And the life that had been given to Epaphroditus by salvation in Christ Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was such and that, that when he lived it out, the Apostle Paul said, you are on the same plane as me. We are equals in the kingdom of God and your work is important. Epaphroditus. Your work, your ministry, what you will do for the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, is important. And it's equal in status and standing to any other Christian. But it is completely dependent upon you working out your salvation with fear and trembling and allowing the change that's happened on the inside to work its way out into a lifestyle that glorifies God. Paul says that that Epaphroditus is the messenger of the Philippian church. What's interesting is is the word messenger is actually apostolon, which uh, some of you might recognize that word. It's apostle comes from it. And and we have kind of like two different types of apostles in the New Testament. We've got the apostles of Jesus Christ who are a unique group. And we see there were 12 apostles And then one committed suicide because he denied Christ and and betrayed him. And then we get another one added. And then there's a 13th apostle, Paul, who has a special commissioning by the resurrected Christ. So we end up with 13 apostles who are living at this time who were the apostles of Christ Jesus. And they're the only ones who've ever been the apostles of Christ Jesus. And why is that true? Because there were certain conditions to being an apostle of Christ Jesus. Number one, we understand from Acts chapter 1, you had to have been participating in his ministry with him. You had to have been a disciple of Jesus physically. And then the second thing is you have to receive your commission from Jesus directly. And so we have a very small group of apostles in the New Testament who are the who are the apostles of christ jesus but then we have a larger group of apostles and you and i could be apostles in the form that epaphroditus is we could be sent with a specific task by a local church that it was our job to accomplish so what that means is epaphroditus was an apostle from the church in philippi sent to minister to paul if we sent you to Giant Eagle to pick up chicken, technically you would be the apostle of Faith Lakeside Church, sent with a mission, one of the most critical missions of all, to pick up the fried chicken. And bring it back. And do not eat it all yourself. These are your, your, your this is your charge, these are your orders. Apostle of Faith Lakeside. And, and so apostle just means someone who's sent with a task, someone who's a representative. And that's what Epaphroditus is for the Philippian church. Guess what? Right now, we're not talking chicken. I'm going to make all of you apostles. Go out and make disciples. You are being sent with a task faith lakeside church has now deemed you apostles we are sending you out to reach your friends and your family for the sake of jesus christ that's your task isn't that cool you're you're sent out you're a messenger you have a task you should be accomplishing it so should i it says he was also a a minister The, the the picture there is a priest who's offering up service or sacrifice for the sake of another Paul was, or excuse me, Epaphroditus was ministering to the needs of Paul. He was helping by sacrifice of his own life to meet the needs of the Apostle Paul. So we see this this picture of someone who is working out his salvation with fear and trembling. Someone who is is valuable in the kingdom of God. Of the same value as the apostle who calls him brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. He has been sent with a task to meet the needs of Paul by his local church. Who loves him and trusts him to go out and do the work he's called to. And he is a minister willing to sacrifice his own needs and desires in order to meet the needs of of paul you see how this is is working out you see what this salvation looks like is this is not just i'm saved and i do my devotions and i read a lot of bible that's a good start but paul is encouraging the philippian church when you do those things and you're genuinely saved it should begin to influence the totality of your life And you understand yourself to be an equal in the kingdom of God whose service is critical for its success. You should be going out and serving and you should be taking the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere you go because you are a sent messenger and your task is to draw others unto Jesus. And that's what Epaphroditus was doing. Now, Paul goes on to describe the circumstances regarding his interactions with Epaphroditus and what's been going on. Now, it's interesting to remember and note that it would have taken anywhere from from about a month to three months to get from Philippi to Rome, depending upon the time of year, depending upon whether or not shipping lanes were open or were shut down for winter. And so Epaphroditus went on a pretty considerable journey in order to take to paul in rome this this gift that the philippian church was sending and on this journey epaphroditus got very sick in fact paul says he was so sick that he nearly died and so those of you who've, uh, you know, walked the COVID journey, maybe you understand that feeling. Even if you weren't that sick, you felt like you were going to die. Oh, I'm going to die. And especially us guys, we know we're the worst. Uh, ladies, you can, you can amen and tell us that. We know we're babies. We, we have the sniffles. We will die. We have a splinter. We will die. Uh, but it's because we don't know what pain is and we can't handle it. So, um, <clears throat> but we really think and believe that when Paul says Epaphroditus Nearly died, he genuinely nearly died. Now, Paul lets us know that Epaphroditus was so willing to serve, to give, to allow his salvation, to dictate how he did, that he was willing to give his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, quick aside, little interesting note, as we read this passage, what do we see Does it seem that Paul is certain that Epaphroditus would live? No. In fact, when we see this, it says, however, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. There was actually a moment in the sickness of Epaphroditus, Scripture seems to teach us, where Paul was uncertain of the outcome. Now, this is in stark contrast to some modern teachers who will tell you that it is always God's will for you to be perfectly healthy. And it's always God's will for you to be perfectly happy. And if that is not the case, you're probably sinning. And that's simply not in line with what Scripture tells us about sickness and sorrow. And trials in fact we see here's the Apostle Paul where is he in Rome under house arrest dependent upon the generosity of other believers does that seem much in line with the health wealth everything will work out perfectly gospel gospel that some teachers teach nowadays no It doesn't. Why would you be imprisoned if God's plan was for you always to be happy? The thing is, is God's plan for you is to always rejoice and understand that He's in control even when life takes a turn for the worst. Even when you're in prison and in chains. Remember, Paul talks about being in chains earlier in the letter to the church in Philippi. And the, the... truth is is he likely 24 hours a day was chained to two members of the royal guard one on each side and so here he is imprisoned chained to strangers whom he's getting to know over time because he's that kind of guy and dependent upon others for his basic needs And then a man who is sent to serve him and minister to his needs gets sick to the point of death and Paul is uncertain as to whether or not he's going to make it. This flies in the face of nearly every preacher you're going to see on Christian television. The ones who lie to you and say, if you're a Christian, your life will be perfect. The truth is, and Paul in his letter to the church in Philippi here, reinforces this truth. You will have moments where you won't know what's next. Where it feels like you will experience nothing but sorrow upon sorrow. And yet, you are still firmly in God's plan for your life and His purpose for you. Does it stink? Yes. Do we, wouldn't it be nice to know the outcome and where it's taking us and why he's doing it? Absolutely. But oftentimes we won't. And yet that doesn't mean that you're a sinner, that, that has made a bad choice and is rebellion against God, or you don't have enough faith. What it means is you're human. And even when you love God and he loves you, bad things can happen. You will be sick. Some of us, real sick. Some of us, for more than a week or two. You will lose things. Loved ones will die. Jobs will go away. doesn't mean He doesn't love you or value you. It simply means we live in a world that's broken up and sideways. And even the Apostle Paul struggled with this and faced uncertainty and the potential of sorrow upon sorrow. And he's going to tell us later in this letter what we should be doing. I'll give you a spoiler. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Philippians 4.4. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances because they're always going to work out right. Rejoice, that phrase, in the Lord, in submission to God, looking to what He's done for you. But in this circumstance, thankfully, what we see is that God did bring Epaphroditus up out of his sickness. And the church in Philippi probably knew he was sick, but likely did not know that he was better and feared the worst. And so he said, Paul says this, For this reason I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. In other words, once Epaphroditus is back with you and you can rejoice in what God's done in his life, I won't have to worry about him anymore. I'll know that he's home safe and things are well. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. How do we know that Paul's intent in talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus is to serve as an example for us? By this one very phrase, Paul says to to the church in Philippi, I want you to welcome him. And then I want you to look at him and everybody who's like him, I want you to hold them in honor. I want you to see them as something to be emulated, somebody you should should want to look like. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are both shining stars because they have submitted to God in such a way that their salvation is not just an act of, I'm changed on the inside and I get to go to heaven, but instead it is a daily life of living that salvation out in all that they do in service to others, in, in, in hopefulness, in seeing the kingdom of God established and growing. And it is something that all of us should honor and want to be like. So what do we have here? We've got two stars, two stars shining by doing some very specific things. They're living a life worthy of the gospel. And what does that life look like? Well, well, that life looks like one of self-sacrifice. It looks like one of having a Christ-like attitude and possessing a worked-out salvation. Now, nobody would say that Epaphroditus and Timothy are perfect. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in one of his later letters to Timothy, says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying worthy of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Here's a mature, well-used Apostle Paul who has planted churches all over the known world, and he says, I'm the worst sinner there is because he understands that he hasn't arrived at perfection yet, but he has worked out his salvation and it has affected his life and his circumstances, not just in a heart change, but in a lifestyle change. And he has given of himself for the sake of others and he's helped to plant churches and he's gone places he never thought he would and he's done things that he could not have done in his own power and it is beautiful and yet he still realizes it's a work in process. So these two stars, they are living lives worthy of the gospel. They have Christ-like attitudes. Their salvation is making a difference in their everyday life. And the lesson that we learn from them and the thing that we honor about them and the things we should want to copy in our own lives and be like them, we want to be shining stars. And it comes first by putting the cause of Christ first in your life. Now, how does that work when you're not a pastor? I, I, mean, I can tell you pretty easy. That when, when you're a pastor, it means you go where you're called, you do what you have to do in order to serve the church where you've been placed. But in your life, what does it mean to put the cause of Christ first? It can mean things like not working at a place that you know is dishonoring to God in their business or practices. It can mean being willing to lose your job for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Putting the cause of Christ first means being faithful to the church that you call home. And and not being legalistic, but, but really coming together and connecting with the people who you're supposed to love and sacrifice for and they're supposed to love and sacrifice for you. To really be genuinely connected put the cause of christ first putting the cause of christ first means if you have a marriage that you honor your marriage hebrews 13:4 marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure that if you have children that you raise them up according to the standards that god has given us in scripture None of us are perfect, but all of us can strive for that. Putting the cause of Christ first, for some of us it can mean don't get that next plate of food. Because you love God enough to care for the temple that He's given you. Second thing we see in shining stars, they put the needs of others ahead of their own. Remember Paul as earlier said, each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He actually doesn't say, put the needs of others ahead of your own. He says, don't pay any attention to your needs. Meet the needs of others. Now, that can be financial if you've been blessed that way. That can be in time. That can be standing and listening to the person that you struggle to listen to. Because you're not really interested in what they have to say. And they're kind of boring. But you put their need of talking and sharing and being able to express themselves ahead of your own need of getting the heck out of there. Right? That that maybe, maybe sometimes putting the needs of someone else will cost you an extra five minutes before you leave church. Maybe putting somebody else's needs ahead of your own will cost you half of your lunch. It'll cost you Starbucks money for the week. It'll cost you a bedtime story. It'll cost you a back rub. Mm, that 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 went weird. Never mind. Uh, let's not talk about that in church. But pitting the needs of others ahead of your own is a hallmark of a Christian life that is being worked out with fear and trembling. And here's the really cool thing about Christianity that those who live it out are consistently willing to give their lives for something better. Christianity doesn't ask us to do more. Jesus doesn't ask us to do more. He asks us to do better in the things that we're already doing. And willing to give of our own desires and our own life and our own choices and our own needs in order to do the better every time. In order to do it without grumbling or arguing in order to do it with an attitude like Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, we too are called to be shining stars like Epaphroditus and Timothy. And it begins with putting the cause of Christ first. It continues with putting the needs of others ahead of your own. And it will culminate in being willing to give your life for the better instead of living it for yourself and what's just good enough. So as you read Philippians, as you review <laughs> excuse me, this passage in your studies this week or in your meditations and contemplations, this is the goal. This is what we should honor. This is what we should be like. Putting Christ first, putting others first, and consistently giving up ourselves for the sake of something better. Because we have to remember, to live... Is Christ. And because of the love and work of Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can be confident that this whole life is worth sacrificing because death will be a gain. And then the resurrection life comes after that life eternal on a new earth and Christ in our midst. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And with that perspective, we can look back and say, it's worthwhile to put Jesus first. It's worthwhile to put others ahead of myself. And it's worthwhile to give my life for the better of Scripture and the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Just thank you so much for your word and how beautiful it is, how, how full it is, that, that, that there is no part of our lives that it doesn't speak to. In fact, your word so clearly calls us out for, from what comes easy, the selfishness, the self-righteousness, the self-serving. That comes so easily to us. But you call us out from that into a life of following you, of submitting to your son, of believing on Him for salvation, and then giving our lives for Your glory and His. Help us as Christians to be shining lights. I know that there are so many here that You've already done the work in their heart. And now I pray that we would be able to take the changed hearts and work out our salvation with fear and trembling and allow that to interact with and, and change our daily lives. Help us to realize that the self-sacrifice begins in church and in home, but it should continue out into work and grocery shopping and and eating lunch. and, And it should just have repercussions all throughout to how we choose what to watch and listen to, how much we eat and how much we share. Help us to work out this salvation that is so true and so life-changing and so dear to us with fear and trembling and to become faithful disciples who look more like you, Lord Jesus. I pray that if someone here this morning does not understand what it means to be saved in the first place, that you would give them just a, a burning in their heart right now, just a feeling of unsettled, a feeling of they need something more and they know it, and then give them the boldness to just ask a friend or family member or someone that they trust that's here this morning? What does it mean to be saved? And how can I know Jesus as my Savior? How can I begin this change process? Thank you for your word. Continue to open it to us as we study and read. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you do have questions, don't hesitate to ask someone. Whether you came with them, or if they don't know, find somebody else that looks friendly and say, what do I need to know? How can I follow Jesus? Because the goal is for all of us to be shining stars in this crooked and perverse world. Let's stand together and we'll sing our closing song and then be dismissed.